Hello, everyone. Uh, so good to be with you. It's uh, such a joy and a blessing to be worshiping together this morning. Uh, my prayer, as always, is that this service is really a help and a blessing as we worship together. My uh, prayer is that we all are continuing to grow in the Lord. Uh, this September, uh, we are now officially in September. For me, as a kid growing up in Philadelphia, September meant back to school. Um, unlike central Pennsylvania, school didn't start until after Labor Day. So even though I've been here for 20 years, I don't think about back to school until... Um, um, Labor Day comes, you know, so uh, I know in, in Harrisburg area, Central PA, they start sometimes in August, which just bothers me because um, summer doesn't begin or summer doesn't end till after Labor Day. But as you get ready for back to school, you know, you go through, you know, sometimes you're switching schools. Uh, sometimes you have to think about the new supplies that you need, the new schedules. Uh, but for me, the most fun part was the new gear, you know, whether it was clothes or sneakers or sometimes you might get a watch or something. At least that's what I looked forward to uh, back to school for us as a family has been a little bit different this year. Uh, our our, our six-year-old is in, in school, but she's doing it mostly by Zoom. And it's been fun to see her, you know, interacting with classmates and, and doing stuff virtually. And she's really been an all-star. But um, one of the cool things is that, you know, when she's in Zoom, she's in a meeting, and sometimes I'm across from her in my meeting. And one day I was paying attention because they were reviewing. And as they were reviewing, it was kind of to get a gauge of where the students are, what they remember from kindergarten, what happened over the summer. Um, but, but what I like that the teacher was doing was that he was reviewing not just to measure where they were, but he was reviewing to really help them prepare for the year ahead. And that's important because I had been thinking through this idea of, you know, how, you know, August we have Sabbath, so September is like our back to school as well, you know? So as we're coming back together, what are the things that's really going to prepare us for this year ahead? And, and just like the back to basics uh, review idea that Harper was going through in class, I was like, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to go back to the basics too. What are the basics of our faith? And I think there's many basics that we need to know and keep holding on to and be reminded of. You know, for example, we are blessed that our God knows us that our God loves us. We are graced by our God's mercy and compassions that are new every morning. We are cared for by a God who holds us, you know, no matter what turmoil or, or what trial is going on, God holds us, you know. We are, we are carried by God and this God who carries us through everything, through light and dark, through storm and peace. This God is faithful, he's good, and he's true. That's some of the foundation, the basics of our faith. And the basics, you know, kind of go into this idea that God is really our source. So Jesus, then, is the example of how we can live to, to love and to please God. The Holy Spirit is, is our guide who illuminates scripture and, and points us out the way and directs our paths. And, and the Father is just home to us. And what I love about God is that he's both the, the source of our faith, the source of our life, the source of our being, but also the place where we can go and learn, the place where we can go and obtain mercy and compassion and love and healing. And I think that idea of acknowledging that God is our source, if you want to go back to the basics, go to God. I think that's important. But as we go through this next sermon series, I'm hoping we're not just acknowledging God as the source, but we're going to that source to learn something. And what we're trying to learn here is, what does God ask of us? And if God is God, and he has asked us to do stuff, what is our reaction to do that? Because I think... If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to say that we follow Jesus, maybe we need to 
not just acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but actually submit and surrender to Jesus as Lord. And the way we do that is by following the commands of Christ. If you have your Bible, I'm just going to be reading one verse, one verse, uh, Matthew 4, uh, verse 17. Before I read that verse, I'm just going to pray, um, and then we're going to get into the rest of the sermon. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you so much this morning that our origin is you, that our source is you, that our life is, is being, uh, our life is founded in you. Lord God, our source, we thank you so much for gifting us your son, Jesus Christ, as our example, for gifting us the Holy Spirit as our guide, and for you, our Father, always being home to us. Lord, we think of these commands of Christ as we begin today thinking about what it means to repent. And we pray for your guidance. We pray for your help. And we pray that we can always know the true meaning of repent, to stop, to turn, and to fix our eyes on you. In your holy and precious name, amen. So Matthew 4, 17, we read this statement. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What I love about that verse is it's really a summary statement of, of Jesus's early ministry. It, it, it's, it's very short, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the first part about it is it's a, it's a call to turn back to God. The people had, had not followed God. The people had turned their eyes away from God. The people had, had made themselves lords and kings of their own lives and queens of their own lives. And, and now when Jesus comes onto the scene, his first message that he begins pre- preaching is repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But what I love about the repent that Jesus is talking about is it's not just a call to turn from sin, but it's also a call to turn to God and live. And I think most of us who grew up in church or most of us who are familiar with church, when we hear repent, we automatically go to salvation. We automatically go to the turn from sin. For us, when we hear repent, it's a call for us to surrender to the spirit of God. It's a call for us to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's a plea from us to say, Lord, forgive me for the bad that I've done, yes, but sometimes it's also forgive me for the good I've left undone. Father God, bring me back home. For a lot of us, we understand repentance in light of salvation. So I think it's important if we're going to follow the commands of Christ, if we're going to follow Jesus, I think, it's begin, I think it's important that we begin with repentance. Because unless you've made that decision that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I'm going to live my life to follow Jesus, then it doesn't make sense to ask you to follow the commands of Jesus. Unless Jesus is Lord of your life, it doesn't make sense to ask you to follow his commands. And so this morning, if there's anyone who who doesn't know what that means, who doesn't know what it means to follow Jesus, I'm going to give a little quick, you know, three-step process that I got introduced to as a kid. For those of us who grew up in church, they used to call it the Romans Road. And I love this because very simply, we're introduced to this idea that all of us have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. You know, it's not enough to say, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we have to first admit that none of us can get to God on our own. That this is divide between God, our source, and our life, God, our maker, and us. All of us have fell short of reaching God and reaching God's glory. And because we fall short, you know, later in Romans, it writes that for the wages of sin is death. So the idea of a wage is very simple. It's what you've earned. It's what you've worked for. It's what you've put all your sweat and energy into in a way. So all of us have sinned and fell short of God's glory. We can't get to God on our own. All of us have actually earned separation from God. 
But then we're reminded of the work of Jesus. And we're told that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we can be saved. And that's the beauty of the God that we serve. That yes, we've sinned and fell short. That yes, we can't get to him on our own. That yes, what we've earned is actually separation from God. But praise God for Jesus Christ, the one who came to this earth, the one who walked these streets, the one who went to Calvary's tree, the one who died and bled for you and me, the one who was raised on the third day, and the one who's alive today. He did the work so that by our confession and our belief, we can come home again. So when the Lord says repent, it's simply a call to say, God, you are now Lord of my life. You are now the one I will serve. You are the one I will turn to. But I think what I've learned to love about this idea of repent is that it's more than just that one-time cry. It's more than just that, that one-time turn to God and say, I will now follow God. It's, it's more than just that one-time salvation. So what then is repentance? You know, one of the things I love about the brethren in Christ is the way we even understand salvation is that it's a point and it's a process. And what we mean by that is simply this, you know, in my own words, right? What we mean by that is there's some of us who can tell you the time, the place, the exact moment in time, the exact time on our watches that we made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. We can point you to the point of life that we made that decision. But there's also a lot of scripture that talks about the process of God and the spirit working inside of us to transform our minds, to, to illuminate our scriptures, to, to open away the pathway so that we can grow in Christ, so that we can grow in our faith, so that salvation, then it's a process in the sense of we're growing to become more and more Christ-like. And I love this idea that salvation is, yes, that one time you were saved, but then also God is saving you now and renewing and transforming you and making you more and more like Jesus. And I think what I like about it is because repent in the Greek, the word that's used is metanaeo, and it gets both that idea of, yes, make the decision to follow God. But keep making the decision to follow God. It's, it's a changing of your mind for the better. It's a turn. It's, it's, you know, I always used to tell the youth when I was in youth ministry, it's like we're in Harrisburg between, you know, Philly and, and Pittsburgh. It's almost like if you're trying to go to Pittsburgh and you, you drive in a car and it says, welcome to Philadelphia, it's not just enough to say, well, I repent. No, no, no. What do you have to do? You have to turn the car around and actually drive to Pittsburgh. So repent is changing your mind for the better because of something or someone. And it's making that turn. It's changing your mind on the account of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what the spirit is doing in you and the father who's welcoming you home. But it's the process. And in this process, growth is needed. And in this process, Every single day, every single moment, every single breath affords you the opportunity to turn and keep turning back to God. Now, I only read Matthew four seventeen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And I think if you want to understand what this process of, of repentance looks like, of, of keeping looking at God and turning to God, I think then you got to go back this week and read and really just spend some time with the first 16 verses of Matthew 4. 
Because in that verse, we see Jesus in the wilderness. And one of the things that Matthew is trying to do, especially in the first four chapters, is to remind everyone that this Jesus who's come is the fulfillment of all of Israel's hope. This Jesus who come is the promised Messiah. This Jesus who come is the one who fulfills all the promises. This Jesus who's come is the one who has the bloodline, is the one who comes from heaven into earth. This Jesus who's come is the one that the Magi worship, the shepherds worship, is the one that we all worship. But after he sets the stage in the first three chapters of Matthew, when we get to chapter four, we find Jesus in the desert. Like Israel, Jesus is in the desert. And if you know anything about desert, is that it doesn't take much for the night to come. And when the night comes, and sometimes even in the day, you have the darkness of night, but even in the day, you have the, the, the danger of the desert. It's hard not to feel the desolation all around you. It's hard to fight off the depression when you're living in the desert. And when Jesus enters into the desert, he had already gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. So not only is he alone and lonely, not only is he tired and weak, not only is he hungry, but he's very vulnerable. Jesus needs God in the desert. But part of the question you have to ask is, is God even there? And then the devil shows up. And even though our scripture reminds us time and time again that it's not God who tempts us. All of us who suffer temptation or, or fight temptation, we know that, that, that God may not tempt us. But that devil sure will try us. And the devil comes to Jesus to offer him these temptations. And what I love about what happens here is not only what Jesus done, but Jesus, the complete fulfillment of Israel, uses the word of God. And Jesus uses the answers that Israel should have given in the desert, but did not do. Because all of us will enter into deserts. But if we're willing to keep God as our source, if we're willing to hold on to the word of God, Jesus and scripture, both of them on that one, if we're willing to trust God even in the desert, I believe that the desert will not just prune us, but it will make us better as it makes us more and more like Jesus. So Satan comes to tempt Jesus. And as someone who doesn't like missing meals, which if you've been around me, you know that's true. I don't like missing meals. Jesus had gone 40 days without eating. And a lot of times we, we read this and we, we make it very pious and holy. Like Jesus was going 40 days to, to show how good of a Christian he is. And I always think that's funny because I'm not sure Jesus was a Christian, you know. Uh, but that's just me. But Jesus has gone 40 days. And I want us to think about practically those of us who struggle with missing meals like myself. He's at his tired. He's at his lonesome. The hunger can be felt. And the first thing that Satan does is say, hey, I want you to show how powerful you are. Like you can make these stones turn into bread. Why don't you do that? And even though he's at his weakest, even though he is so tired, even though he can probably see the food in the back of his mind, and he maybe even taste it on his tongue. Jesus says, no, Satan, it is not about me. It's about all of us living and listening and trusting God and God alone. So Satan tries another thing. If I can't get him physically, maybe I'll appeal to his pride. So Satan goes, listen, you know, God loves you. God cares about you. God's always there for you, right? 
Why don't you go to this high point of Jerusalem? Why don't you go to this high point of the temple and just throw yourself off? You know, if God loves you, he'll be there. I mean, he'll even send angels to you. And what's fascinating in this passage is Jesus every time is answering basically what Israel should have answered and what we find in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. And Satan actually, when he says, you know, God will send angels for you, Satan is using scripture too. And he's using scripture to twist it, using scripture to to make it mean what he wants it to mean. I know we can relate to that, right? Because sometimes I think, sadly, we do the same. And Satan's using scripture to say, well, God cares for you. But yet again, Jesus says, no, Satan, I know God loves me. In fact, I so much know God loves me. I don't need to ask whether or not God loves me. And I also don't need God to prove that he loves me. And every time I read that, that really humbles me. Because sometimes I want God to show up. Sometimes I want God to prove his love, prove that he's there. But Jesus' answer, even in the face of Satan, is, no, 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 no. I know he loves me. And I don't have him to, I don't need him to prove that he loves me. And that, to me, is challenging when I'm in the desert. So then lastly, if he couldn't get his physical hunger, if he couldn't appeal to his pride, Satan goes to the heart of it all. And I don't even know, even as a kid, I don't even know if Satan had the power to do this. But sometimes temptations don't really make sense or they don't care what makes sense. It's just about the now and the now and the now. So Satan goes to Jesus the third time and he says, Jesus, look at the world. Look at everything. You can have it all. I can give it all to you. And I always struggle with this as a kid because I'm like, well, Jesus is God and he already has it all. This is weird, Satan. What are you saying? But I think the base question here, if we're going back to the basics, is Satan is just saying, you're hungry, you're tired, this road ahead is going to be hard, but I just want you to bow down to me one time and it'll be okay. And Jesus says, no. No, Satan, I'm not going to take the easy way out. No, Satan, I'm not going to bow down to you. I created you. No, Satan, you may try to tempt and test me, but my faith is in God alone. In fact, I'm not going to bow to you because none of us are to bow to you. All of us are to what? Worship and worship God alone. And the reason I think this temptation of Jesus is so important to us in understanding repentance is if you want to understand the process of daily turning your life to Jesus and putting your eyes on God, you got to go back to the desert. Because I think there's a lot of us who may be in that desert place this morning. I think there's a lot of us who look around the world and, and it's so dark and we can't see the light. We want to believe the light, but we can't see the light. I think there's a lot of us who just see danger everywhere we look. I think there's even some of us who may be watching this and in very dangerous places or, or making very dangerous decisions or maybe dangerous people are doing things to us. You know, I think there's a lot of us facing just the dark danger of the world. And I think there's also some of us who feel the desolation of the spirit and the soul. I think there's some of us, you know, I read an article that says a third of all American adults, and that's where we are. I know some people might be from around the world. I don't know your numbers, but I heard that a third of us American adults are suffering some kind of depression right now. So there's some of us who see darkness all around us and it's weighing us down. There's some of us in dangerous places or situations and there's some of us who are just depressed by everything that's around us. We are in the desert. We feel alone. 
We are tired. We are weak. We are vulnerable. We need God, but we ask daily, God, are you there? God, where are you? God, I need you to show up right now. But to those of us who see the world is dark, I want us to go to the desert with Jesus. For those of us who see and feel the danger and experience the danger of the world, I want us to go to the desert with Jesus. For those of us who can't put a smile on our face and we don't want to fake it and smile until we mean it because we can't, I want us to go back to the desert with Jesus. Because in the desert, Jesus teaches us that whatever physical, whatever temporary struggle we're in right now, God is God alone. God is the one we must live for, we must listen to, we must trust. And when Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, the, 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 the word there for us is to make sure that we are turning to the word of God. And I think that's a double meaning for a reason. One, it means that we are to turn to Jesus, yes. That we are to look to Jesus as our example, yes. But it also means that all of us have to turn to Scripture. Because in Scripture, we hear the words of God. In Scripture, we learn the promises of God. And when we're in the desert place, when we feel dark, we need the Word of God to remind us that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and my light is now in you. When we're feeling, you know, desolate and dangerous, we need to be reminded that Jesus says, my Father will never leave you nor forsake you. When we're fighting depression, We need a God who reminds us that I know it's hard right now, but my mercies are new for you every single morning. I'm with you. I'm caring you. I'm loving you. And I think for all of us who are struggling with something in this 2020, I think this idea of repenting, it has to be not just this one-time thing. Every single morning, we have to ask ourselves, how am I turning to God today? Where is my focus today? How am I trusting God today? Repent doesn't just mean, God, forgive me that one time. It means, God, I don't know which way I'm going, but I need to be on your path. God, I don't know if my eyes are on you, but I want to make sure they're on you right now. Holy Spirit, if you're my guide, I surrender to you. Jesus, if you're my example, I will follow you. Father, if you're my father, I want to be home in your arms. And no matter what we go through, it's important for us to remember that in all these things, even in our desert places, if we turn to God, we're turning to the one who blesses us because he knows us and he loves us and there's nothing we've gone through that God hasn't healed, that God hasn't saved, that God hasn't redeemed. And no matter how dark the desert place is, there's nothing that we go through that God has in grace with his compassion and his mercy. And for all of us this morning, the reason we turn to God is because he's the one who cares for us. He's the one who graces us. He's the one who holds us. He's the one who carries us. He's the one who's faithful, good, and true. When Jesus calls us to repent, He wants us to be reminded that, yes, now, turn and give your life to me. But he wants us every single day to turn and make sure our eyes are fixed on him. Because if it's Jesus who's the author and finisher of our faith, 
If it's Jesus who's our Lord and Savior, if it's Jesus who's our example, our work is to follow him, to do what he's asked of us, to live as he's lived, and to love as he's loved. So how do we repent? Return to the word of God. The scripture he's blessed us with, yes, but we turn to the living word of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Repent. Repent today, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Amen. Repent, sisters and brothers, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. My prayer, my hope for you is that today, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, that today is the day of your salvation as you give your life to Jesus Christ. And for those of us who've made that decision, I pray that today is our dedication or rededication that every single day, every single moment, every single breath, I will turn to the word of God. I will trust God and not my situation. I will trust God who holds me even when I feel alone. Repent, turn to God, trust God who loves you for the kingdom of heaven has come near. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much that you're faithful, good, and true. We thank you for those mercies and compassions that are new every morning. We thank you for that love that sees us and carries us even in our desert places. Lord, we pray for your strength. We pray that where we're weak, we can hold on to you because you are strong. Lord, we pray that no matter how dark it gets, we never forget that you are the light and your light is in us. No matter how lonely we feel, we never forget that we are held and carried and loved by you. Kingdom is coming. So Lord, teach us how to repent and to turn to you. In your holy and precious name, amen. That the kingdom has come near. The kingdom is here. And the king-